There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a rifle, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up big. Oh my, oh my, we are Yard and Garden live for you here on this Friday morning before the big 4th of July holiday. And it's 90 minutes of questions and answers to your landscape problems. Nebraska Extension educator Nicole Stoner and her guest here will solve all your problems from bugs and critters to rots and spots. We call it Yard and Garden Live. All you have to do is call us 402-729-3383. And now, without further ado, as they say, here is the lovely and the talented Nicole Stoner. applause there thanks how are you doing <laughs> doing just fine how Good. are you uh, well as you can see i've got i've got some uh some uh a little bit of problem. i've got some issues in the garden yep, uh, we can happens. talk about we can talk about that a little bit later mm-hmm. um and uh other than that i'm looking forward to the uh, holiday weekend right. and i've always looked forward to uh, uh about three or four i really look forward to yard and garden with three or four guests mm-hmm. and uh well, Dick Campbell is one of them. Yeah, he's a good and, one. And uh, this one, who is uh, sitting there to my one o'clock, is another one of my faves. Yeah. Has been since the day Scoot, uh, or the very start of the program. Dr. Paul Reed, sir, how are you? I'm terrific. I'm excited about having to participate in Yard and Garden one more time. All right. Maybe, maybe more than one time, but Man. this this one is uh, special because it's leading into the Fourth of July. Independence Day celebration. That's right. Uh, and uh, for those people who uh, are Yard and Garden uh, regular listeners, um, you you know Paul has been here in and out just about every year, if not every year. And uh, Dr. Paul Reed is uh, head of the, well, uh, you tell everybody what your title is at the university. I'm professor of horticulture and viticulture. Viticulture. Viticulture is the study of grapes and growing grapes. Viticulture is spelled V-I-T. V-I-T comes from the Latin meaning life because grapevines in the right location live a long time. How about that? Um, uh, And I tell this story every time you're on. But uh, it was, uh, I don't know, years ago. We went to a uh, one of our area uh, vineyards that has a tasting room and um, walked in, and it was during the winter. It was in the fall, and they had a fire going in the fireplace, and we got the we got our, our wine tested, you know, uh, all taken care of, a little thing of food. And I went up to get my second glass of wine, and I said something to the lady uh, that was working. I said, do you, uh, do you know a, a Dr. Paul Reed? And she looked at me and she said, honey, if you're in the wine business in Nebraska, you know Dr. Paul Reed. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, I've, I've always, that always made me chuckle. I think about it every time I see you. And once again, uh, if you are having a problem with fruits, uh, fruit trees, uh, or if you're interested in uh, grapevines or growing your own grapes, 
uh, give us a call. Yeah, Plus, please call now. Yeah, I don't. I'm not as great at that stuff, and Dr. Paul Reed knows that stuff a lot better than I do. So yes, call with those questions this week. And you know what? And and also, uh, as I found out over the years, uh, uh, Dr. Reed is also a, a, an avid gardener mm-hmm. and uh, has a whole lot of information on more than just. Right. Grapes and fruit and anything else. We have a, a call right out of the gate here. This is Carolyn from Western. Good morning, Carolyn. What's your question? I got two of them. Good. First off, what are the little holes along the foundation of my house in the ground? They're not really holes. They're just like something has been dug a little bit, yeah. and then that's it. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I've had a few calls on this from time to time. They kind of look like an inverted anthill, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And they're on the north side, um, and maybe the, so- the soil's maybe a smidge sandier than others. Is that correct? Well, no, not really. I've got it on the east side. It's really thick. It's almost okay. like two rows of it. Okay. You know, those... and then on the north side a little bit. Okay. And so those are antlion dens. So the antlion is an insect, um, and as an adult, they look very similar to a uh, damselfly or a dragonfly type, um, but they have uh, more of like a little knob on their antennae that the damselfly does not have. Um, but as an immature, they make these um, inverted anthills, these little dens, and the immature um, is kind of a flatter insect-looking uh, thing with these giant mandibles. And what they do is they sit at the bottom of their den um, and wait for things like ants and other small insects to fall in And then they grab them up with their mandibles and they eat them. Um, And so they're not really harmful um, to anything. They're not going to hurt your plants or anything like that. Um, They just look a little funny. Um, You can, you know, if you get things planted there, they'll go away. It's probably a bare area, I would assume. Well, Um, yeah, it's right next to the house. I do have flowers in there, but they're just starting. Right. Yes. So so as as those things take off, you'll have less problems with these. Um, but they just, they're just finding a good spot to make their little dens. I love them. And it's my favorite insect, by yeah, the way. Yeah, they're so cool. They're <laughs> so cool. The story behind them is really cool, Carolyn. What else? You said you had two questions, so go ahead. All right. First, and the second one is blight on tomatoes. Now, I know I put a black ground cover over at the bottom. I put mulch over it, and I also water it from the bottom what else am I doing wrong? Can you describe the blight that you're having? It's the leaves turn yellow all the way starting from the bottom and then just work their way up to the top. Do you have your tomatoes spaced out sufficiently? Yes, I do. I think I've got them well, three, four, okay. four foot apart, somewhere in there. Okay, and you're mulching. And I've got them in a cage. It's probably you know. er, probably early blight, septoria, mm-hmm. uh, and it sneaks up, starts on the lower leaves, as you described. And unfortunately, there's many of my favorite tomatoes are very susceptible to that. Uh, I happen to have some sun gold in my home garden that I'm growing, and it's already started on, on them. Uh, the lower leaves are going to turn yellow and fall off. It's now mo- I just noticed them on my Romus. Mostly a matter of choice of, of <laughs> cultivar or variety. Uh, some yeah. varieties are a little more tolerant. Uh, you're doing some of the right things, as Nicole suggested, mm-hmm. uh, spacing them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but it's very often purely well, a matter yeah. of what grape or what tomato you're growing. Yeah, the environment's going to kick that one into high gear. Uh, but you are doing everything else right. Um, okay. You know, the four feet spacing is usually what we go with on tomatoes. Um, and the, the mulch is good. Watering from below is good. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, you can't control the weather, right? <laughs> yeah, if I could, we'd be getting some rain. I know you had your share, but right. I've been out at Alexandria State Lakes, and they are lucky if they got half an inch. Yeah, it's been spotty, very spotty yeah. this year. Well, Western is dry. They yeah. didn't even get anything. So, But there All would right. be some varieties that would be more resistant um, to that. Uh, we do have a NEV guide on um, different tomato or it's vegetable varieties that I can put in when I write up my blog. Um, and um, in there it has if they're resistant to like early bright, blight and septoria, um, which would be one of it'd be one of those. Um, and uh, so then you can look for aroma that is maybe a little more resistant. Okay, and I also have got two Roma plants that the leaves are automatically curled. That is just their their way. The other Romas aren't, but the other two, it's a different brand, and they, I was told that those leaves will curl. That's what they look like as they're growing. I've seen a lot of uh, physiological leaf curl this year with the yeah. weather, the way it is and everything. So it could be a little bit of that if they're yeah, just curling up the on themselves. The plants grow is with curled leaf. Hmm. And I have, it has started that way, and they're still continually doing it. As, and I've got uh, hmm. probably about... Oh, a good four foot, five foot tomatoes now, plants, and the leaves are still curling all the way up. I've not. Have you seen tomatoes that I, curl not. like that? Oh, I got galore tomatoes sitting on them now. Poodles. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. If it, if it, if it were happening on all of your tomatoes, I'd suspect herbicide drift. Nope, nope. It's but just those two tomato plants. That's it. Well. That's it may be a physiological disorder that's mm -hmm. inherently in that particular. Uh, cultivar. Yeah. Yes, okay. that's kind of what you were told, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, he just said that that's the way they grow. Yeah, is with the leaves curled. All right. He says they look like it, but he says they're not. So I thought, well, I hope you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all my questions. All right, Carolyn. Thanks for your call. Thank you. You betcha. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Uh, if uh, any of our listeners have have interest uh, and would like to see a uh, uh, a vineyard in our area, local that does it right, the chance to do that is uh, July nineteenth, and uh, this is in the Crete area. It's called Homestead Prairie Vineyard. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a little cost, but you can pay at the door and, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, the Homestead Prairie Vineyard, Dr. Paul. Well, it's owned by the Prokop family and they have done a, almost everything right in establishing a vineyard. The rows are picture perfect, straight as an arrow, uh, I think maybe it's the engineering background of, uh, <laughs> the parent, but, it's definitely a vineyard to uh, emulate if you were going to start a vineyard. But also, we are going to discuss uh, and demonstrate uh, 
crop reduction study a research program the university of nebraska viticulture program is doing and uh, we'll also have a chance to see the pro crops have changed over or transitioned some of their vineyard from one trellis system to another uh, from what we call VSP or vertical shoot positioning to high bilateral cordon, which actually is easier uh, for machine harvest. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll cover a lot of other aspects of um, summer vineyard management basically. And we'll also uh, include in the registration fee lunch and some handouts. All right. And you say this is, it covers pretty pretty good size uh, vineyard, huh? It is. It's one of our larger vineyards in the area. And did you had it like 20 acres, is that? It's, it's more than 20 acres. I can't tell you exactly okay. what it is. Yeah. <coughs> Very large. And they've got several of the newer cultivars or varieties that uh, were bred by the University of Minnesota Cold Hardiness Breeding Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, put a research study, uh, what we call a crop reduction study, uh, on their Frontenac Gris grapes. Uh, and they are vigorous looking vines, beautifully trained and, and managed. All right. Speaking of Crete, which is where this uh, Homestead uh, Prairie Vineyard is near Crete, we have Jerry from Crete online with the question. Hello, Jerry. Hi. My, my, my question is, I've been having troubles with my pepper plants about the last three years, and I, I plant various varieties, jalapenos, bell peppers, sweet peppers. I plant them all in, 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 a, in a single row, and it seems like the last three years, the leaves have been turning black and falling off, and the plants are you know, stunted, just don't do well, and I don't know what's, what's going wrong. The leaves turn black? Yes. And is it the whole leaf, or is it kind of along the edge of the leaves? Well, it starts at the edge and kind of works in. And it works its way right up from the bottom to the top, or does it start it at the top? It just seems like the whole plant. <coughs> mm. Sounds like, have you planted them in the same place each year? No, I, I, I change rows every year, and I, I actually keep track of where I buy the plants, and I've been buying them from different places, thinking that I, maybe I was possibly buying diseased plants, but it just does, it seems to just keep happening. Does it start like a yellow or brown first and then turn to black? Yes. Okay. So probably, I mean, it, there's a few different fungal diseases. I would think it'd be one of those if they're turning that color. Um, do you mulch your plants? Yes, I do. How do you water them? Uh, with a soaker hose okay. underneath the mulch. Okay. And um, are you spacing them correctly? Well, they're, they're a couple of feet apart. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not getting them far enough apart. And are they in an area where they're getting good airflow, or is it kind of a tucked-in area where they're maybe not getting the airflow they need? No, no, it's, it's uh, kind of on a hill with, with plenty of airflow. Okay. Good sun. Sounds a lot like the, the last lady with her tomatoes. It's probably just environmental, but I would, for it to be from year to year, every year getting the same thing. Um, you might, um, 
either take a sample to the Saline County office uh, or send me some pictures of it so I can see a little more what's going on. It's a little hard, um, you know, over the phone to picture what's going on. And if I could see it, that might help. Okay. Um, because, yeah, you. I mean, you shouldn't be, if you're moving it, you're spacing them. I mean, two feet is a little close, but peppers don't get quite as big as tomatoes. So that's probably not too bad. Um, and you're mulching and you're watering from below. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see it to, to know a little more about what's going on. Okay, okay. What's your email address then? It's nstoner2 at unl.edu. And the two is the numeral two. Yep, nstoner2 at unl.edu. All right, okay. Yeah, if you want to send me some pictures um, and just remind me that we talked on the radio so that I remember. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, that one, um, I just, sometimes, you know, it's better to see what's going on a little bit more. So right. well, That one sounds very different from what we often encounter. Right. When he first commented about pepper plants, I thought he was going to complain because of the poor fruit set and mm -hmm. all this heat. Mm -hmm. The pepper flowers don't like to form fruit if it gets too right. hot. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. 402729 3383. That is our phone number. We'll be back with your calls. And Yard and Garden Live will continue on the other side of this quick timeout. Yard and Garden Live continues on this Friday morning on today's Best Country. Old Red 99.5. Nicole Stoner here, Gage County Extension Educator. Also, Dr. Paul Reed from the University of Nebraska Viticultural Department is here, ready to uh, answer your questions and, quite frankly, knock them out of the park. Uh, get you an answer if you've got something stumping you. Uh, Now's a great time to call 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383. Kathy from Hebron, I see you coming up here and we're going to get to you, but I do want to go back to our last caller and because uh, both Nicole and Dr. Reed have, were kind of thinking outside and thinking, uh, you know, vocalizing some ideas and you you, you talk you ask him mm -hmm. if he rotated his his crops because yep. that could cause something gets in the soil and it stays in the soil and uh, dr reed said well it kind of depends on what you're mm -hmm. rotating that plant with are you planting green or uh, uh, pepper plants uh but if you plant what else wouldn't really qualify as rotating well, tomatoes, eggplant, potatoes, and peppers are all in the same family. Okay. Right. So if uh, disease was soil disease was building up, you need to switch to something to in a totally different family. Uh, sweet corn, for okay. example. You in can go fact, with the cucurbits in there too, or yep. the or beans. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Jerry, maybe that'll help you, but don't. You can and you can just put that in when you email me just to exactly. let me know if what you're rotating it with. That would be that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Let's talk with Kathy from Hebron. Hi, Kathy. Hi. You have a question? I'm having, yeah, I'm having a problem. My tomatoes have lots of blooms but nothing is setting on. Yeah. And that happens this time of year quite often. 
Yeah, the high temperatures, uh, tomato flowers naturally self-pollinate. It's not a question of having a bunch of bees around or pollinators. They naturally self, uh, it, just in a little bit of wind or a little bit of air movement will vibrate the flowers. But if it's really hot uh, and dry, they have a hard time setting. Mm -hmm. So just have to be patient really and hope for cool nights would help uh, but typically this time of year when it gets hot uh, tomatoes don't set fruit peppers it, don't set fruit yeah it takes them a while to like get through that they eventually kind of adjust to it i think but like when we had those 100 degree temperatures oh, yeah. that's really hard on them and if it gets above what is it 98 or 99 um, most of that pollen in your flowers is actually it becomes sterile because it's so hot, and so then it's not going to um, pollinate it, itself. I I agree. Just give it some time, and they should come. They should pull through it. So um, I've seen a lot of flowers on mine, and they're just. I I saw last night. I had a couple of green ones Did popping you? on there. All so, right, very good. Um, so just give it a little time, and they'll they'll pull through that. They just kind of have to adjust to it a little bit more. But if it does get really hot and stays really hot, they will not pollinate for a, a little bit, or will not um, produce. You there? Okay. Okay. Just got to be patient, Kathy. Okay, and I then, sure will. And once they Thank start, yeah, once they start coming on, then yeah. you'll be you'll be looking for neighbors to give them to. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for your call, Kathy from Hebron. There, uh, we have James next. James uh, calling us from Fairbury. Hi, James. Good morning. How are you? Not bad. I'm looking forward to the 4th of July, as I'm sure you are as well. We all are. Yeah, no kidding. Good, it's good to have uh, this year to get out and be able to enjoy a lot of activities in our communities. What's going on at your place? Squash bug control. Oh, yeah, that one is awful. Um, so you started to see them? Um, already on your plants? Uh, about a week ago, I seen one when I was watering. I picked him off, stomped him down, and then a week later, I seen another one, like just uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And okay. I've been spraying with some uh, seven mm -hmm. and all that. But, you know, is there anything that's a little stronger that I can help control them with? So seven, eight, or bifenthrin would be the only three labeled for use in a vegetable garden. So if the seven isn't quite doing it for you, you can switch over to eight, um, and that should help. I, I think they are starting to develop a little bit of resistance to seven. I mean, it just sometimes doesn't seem like it works quite as well as you want it to. Um, so switching it up to eight, and you can kind of switch back and forth between the two during the year, or maybe this year use eight and next year use seven again. Um, that kind of stuff helps with it as well. What was the insect? Squash bugs. Oh, yeah, they're tough. And In, they're very insidious. Yeah. I've battled squash bug uh, with zucchini and uh, summer squash, yellow summer squash, and combination of raised beds. And uh, I use half barrels quite a bit as some of my raised bed. And I think they uh, don't infest the plant as much in a raised bed as they do on uh, near the ground and then also uh, a little trick that keeps the adult from 
flying to them is to cover them with uh, mesh or mm -hmm. some kind of something that will exclude them. You could use cheesecloth, something I've also used recently, a kind of a, I'm always learning new trick, uh, clear bubble umbrellas put down, take the handle off and stick it down over your half barrel that you're planting in. It fits perfectly and creates a mini greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So for getting things started, and I did that with my summer squash zucchini, uh, it got them growing great. I, I discovered you have to remember to take that thing, uh, the umbrella off because when the leaves get to the point where they're pushing against the plastic, mm -hmm. they start to cook. Yep, <laughs> yep. But it, this was a new trick for me, and, and uh, I used it to start spinach and uh, summer squash and peas, and not all at the same time, but spinach and peas early in the season. Boy, it worked like a charm. Mm -hmm. Got them up quickly. Uh, I harvested spinach for two months, and then started my next crop, mm -hmm. pulled them out. But the summer squash, the, the squash bug is really a tough it's nut a to tough crack. One. And not only and that, it, it has a tendency, of, I'm right on this, it, they keep, if you get them once, you're probably going to get them yeah. year after year after year, huh? Yeah, and you can move to a new location and they're still going to find you eventually. Um, the thing to remember uh, with, like, like Paul said, with the cover putting the cover over them you do have to bring that or open that up every once in a while to allow the bees to pollinate and um the other thing i would tell you you know i said you could switch to eight just make sure that you are following the label on how often to change so or to spray so like you sprayed seven uh, the other day um i think it's a week or two weeks maybe 10 days before you can spray again so i would follow that on when you start spraying the eight and then also make sure that you're following that PHI. So that's how many days you can, uh, you have to wait from when you apply that to when you can harvest. So it's um, for safety for consumption. Also, P what's PHI? Pre-harvest interval. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I, also, James, where when you when you go out and spray for them, are you spraying everything, the whole plant, or how are you doing that? I'm spraying the complete leaves, and then I'm going down in between the leaves and spraying down around, like where your seedlings first come up. Mm -hmm. You know, and trying to soak the whole ground underneath there, and you know, trying yeah. to put it into a mist. And are you getting the underside no. of the leaves too? Uh, not completely. Okay, that's it's that's an tough. area you want to focus on um, for squash bugs, where you're getting down at the base of the plant. That's helpful for squash vine borer, which is a good thing to keep keep that out too, right? Um, but for squash bugs, they the eggs are laid on the underside of the leaves, so you got to make sure that you are um, getting good and sprayed on the underside. And I know that's difficult, but that's um, a, that's how you want to do that so that you can uh, get them better. Well, give it a shot. Thank okay. you very much. Thank <laughs> you. Good luck. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, do I hate those. Yeah. That means I need to get out there and spray. Yeah. I did the other day, but then it rained. I forgot about the yeah. rain. 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383 is our phone number on Yard and Garden Live. would love to have you be part of the program today. If uh, you're uh, not getting ready to uh, get ready for your 4th of July holiday, a lot of people go to the lake. they got to get the campers mm -hmm. ready. 
uh, or if you just uh, have have something you've been thinking about and you want to get an answer to it, if it uh, sort of revolves around uh, something in your landscape, now would be a great time to call 402-729-3383. I uh, wanted to ask you, Dr. Reed, um, a lot of people... Uh, enjoy uh, going to the uh, vineyards that have the tasting rooms. Uh, it's, it's a business that's grown uh, just about every year since you kind of infused this and got it going way back when. How did, how did they come through the COVID, the year of the COVID? Did they, or they, they came okay? Or they made adjustments? How did that work out for him? It was difficult for the... I, I was g- going to make a joke and say that the vines didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> but the people trying yeah. to sell the, the vineyards, or sell wines at their tasting rooms yeah. had to adjust, you know, social distancing and so on. And in some cases, they just closed uh, their tasting rooms for a while. Yeah. Now they're able to u- uh, open them up and... Uh, People adapted somewhat by uh, doing virtual tastings, and that may sound a little weird because you virtual, how do you taste something online? You don't, but you connect online and uh, have the uh, wine producers send you little bottles or packets uh, with wine in them, mm-hmm. and then you can talk, they can talk you through tasting them. Okay. Oh, that's yeah, one of, one of the shops uh, are, uh, that just sells wine uh, had did that with uh, a chef involved, and, and they would drop off at your home the packets or pouches of wine with an appropriate bite of food uh-huh. or hors d'oeuvre like thing cheese or crackers or whatever yeah well yeah. Uh, a little more than that yeah. things that the chef created to yeah. match each wine that was really nice. really a fun thing to do i did it several times <laughs> okay well i was you know i, I because they're, you know they're vulnerable businesses out there they're generally uh they're not like uh their home office uh, has you know the, they are their own home office and a lot of these are you know, small business people who uh, who probably did have kind of a, a tough time during COVID. The phone line, 402-729-3383. Yeah, we still have an open line. We have a caller. This is Frank. Frank from Greenleaf. Hi, Frank. Good morning. How you doing? Great. Good. You? Not bad, not bad. I've got problem with the uh, oak tree uh the leaves it's probably 30 35 feet tall over two feet radius it's it's a big tree but the leaves are all curled up and when i park a vehicle under it it looks like there's mist on it mm-hmm. yeah. and that stuff's sticky yep and the wasps just love it <laughs> yeah yeah well we've had a lot of uh a lot of questions along this line uh this year right nicole yeah, um, <clears throat> one of the problems we see with especially with a lot of different plants, but would be aphids. Um, and what aphids do is they uh, suck the juices out of the leaves, and so that causes them to curl under. 
And then aphids produce a honeydew. Um, it's actually kind of their excretion, for lack of a better term. Um, and so that drips down onto vehicles underneath. Um, so aphids, really, if you leave them alone, the natural predators will come and take care of them. There's really no need to spray for them. Most of the time when we have an aphid problem, give them week to two weeks and it's gone. Um, so I'd say if you can just, or if you need to, just park your truck in a different location for a little while and um, they'll do their thing and the predators will come and take care of them for you. Um, I don't usually recommend spraying a, a full oak tree for aphids because that's a lot more costly and it really, sometimes if you spray, you actually will make it worse because you're killing the predators too and the aphids can come back quicker than the predators and so um, you'll have more problems with aphids. So it's better if you just kind of leave them alone, let them do their thing. The like mantids, lace, lace wings, ladybugs, they'll come take care of them for you and it's not really that harmful to the oak tree. So. Okay, and it seems like it lasts for a long time during the summer. Sometimes we can have um, different rounds of them or maybe um, where it goes into lace bugs or something like that where they could, uh, it's very similar damage. Um, but it, it shouldn't last real long. I mean, a couple weeks probably is typical. Okay. If it, like, I'm pretty sure it lasted just about all summer last year. Is that possible? It can happen, yeah. Um, okay. I still think that the, the damage to the tree is minor, and the the sprays would probably be a lot more costly. Would you agree, Paul? Yeah. Okay. Did, it, did, the leaves, did the tree leaf out normally in, in spring? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Did the, le did the leaves emerge in the spring? Did the tree leaf out? In the normal yeah. way, yeah, so, it's at least out fine. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. But then they, they just curl under. Old trees like that looks looks pretty sad. Right, and um, they, the tree may continue to look like that through the year, if um, even without the aphids. Um, sometimes those oaks they don't recover as well as some of the other trees. <clears throat> okay. Um. So, yeah. And, you know, there's there's also some issues with um, herbicide injury. That wouldn't cause the stickiness, um, but that can cause some deformation to our, our leaves and stuff like that um, where that would last the whole season. So you might have a couple of problems going on, but I would say, it's you know, it's really no need to treat for that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just be patient, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll try. Wash your car and park it somewhere else, right? <laughs> yeah. I know it's not a very good answer, um, but well, it, it really, right. you know, if you just kind of leave them alone, it's better for, for everything. All right, I'll give her a try. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Frank from Greenleaf, thank you very much. Open lines for you, 402 402 729-3383. Quick reminder, coming up uh, Saturday the 10th, that would be a week from tomorrow, it's the Plymouth PIA Flower and Art Show. This will be held at the Plymouth Community Building again. Photos, art, flowers, garden vegetables, a little bit of everything. 
Get your displays there by 9.30. The doors will open at 7.30, so you have plenty of time, 7.30 to 9.30, to bring in what you want to display, the open house. Uh, also going on at Daylily Drive is spectacular, they say. That is between 8 and 4 on Sunday. That's five miles west of Plymouth. But once again, the Plymouth PIA Flower and Art Show. They are back with the Garden Cafe and the whole nine yards. And everybody's invited to, uh, to enter whatever they'd like to enter. And that, again, is Saturday the 10th. The uh, community building opening up as early as 7.30 for your displays. And once again, we want to thank... Our, our friend over in Plymouth, Nancy, who uh, gets us this, our information and does it for us every year. Thank you, Nancy. And we'll try to remind people again next week as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the things uh, I wanted to ask Paul, actually, when you were asking him about the vineyards making it through the um, COVID, mm-hmm. was um, I was wondering how they fared through the extreme temperatures in February. How did our vines do? Well, surprisingly, many vineyards survived quite nicely because the fall temperatures uh, cooled down gradually so that the vines hardened up nicely Mm -hmm. and they had not started to uh, de-harden in the wintertime prior to that February stretch of cold temperatures. So those temperatures were cold enough that usually we'd expect a lot of damage we did not have, in general, that much damage from that okay. event. Some people had problems with fruit set this mm-hmm. spring from mm-hmm. late spring frost. Right. Uh, once the vines start moving or growing, uh, then if the temperature plummets, uh, they're much mm-hmm. more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So. It ranges all the way across the state and, and among uh, commercial vineyards uh, from very minor damage to significant damage. It varies considerably. There, and in some cases, we, the two things we worry about is that people are growing the wrong variety, the wrong cultivar, mm-hmm. trying to push the envelope a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, growing things that just are not well adapted right. here, uh, and they're going to show damage quickly. Right. Uh, the other thing is, when you're starting a vineyard, site selection is really critical. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the most common cause of vineyard failure is poor site selection. Mm-hmm. You need drainage and drainage. It's kind of like the real estate <laughs> industry where they say Location. there are three things yeah. that are important. Yeah. Location, location, location. Right. Well, as far as uh, site selection in vineyards, it's drainage and drainage. <laughs> I mean, you, you see yeah. all these great pictures of the vineyards in uh, Italy and uh, France and Greece, and you know, a lot of them are on hillsides. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and the and you look at it, and you go, how can they get anything to grow there? It's all rocky and on a hillside. But it likes the drainage, huh? Yeah, well, grapes are really, they're survivors, first off. If you get them in the right spot, uh, they'll do very well. And they live a long time. That VIT we were talking about mm-hmm. is the yeah. viticulture, the long life. Well, the genus of grapes is Vitis or Vitis, V-I-G-I-S. Mm-hmm. And that describes their ability 
in the right location, but if they're not in the right location, mm -hmm. they're not going to do well. All right. right. We have uh, we have a couple of calls here. We've got uh, Mike from Fairbury, but in front of Mike, Glenn from Mahaska with a question. Hi, Glenn. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. What's going on in Mahaska? I've got a couple. I think they're red oak trees. I know they're oak trees. They're probably 20 years old. 23 years old, and the leaves are starting to get a bunch of uh, brown spots. Some of the leaves are actually turning a little bit black. wonder what I had going on. Turning black. So where, um, is it sporadic along the leaves, or is it more on the edge? What are we seeing? The spots are kind of anywhere on the leaf i guess or maybe a little more towards the tip of the leaf um some of the leaves probably in the worst case probably a 30 percent covered with a brown spot and what is kind of weird it seems to be more prevalent on the south side of the tree maybe i'm wondering if it's just a sun scald if it's along the edges like that, they will turn, you know, if it starts from the tip or the edges and moves inward, they'll turn brown and then turn black. Um, they will, okay. Mm -hmm. And it's a, basically it's a sunburn, more or less. Oh, okay. I guess you, I haven't paid attention in the years past. Yeah, and it doesn't happen every year, but I would guess 100 degrees in June is a little excessive for that time of year. Definitely was, and, okay. it, and if it, do you find that it's uh, more on one part of the tree than the other, uh, the terminal as, as compared to the basal ones? More on the south, is that? Yeah, you mentioned more on the south side, but I meant uh, the younger growth versus the older growth. Maybe a little more on the younger growth, I would say, yeah. Well, the younger growth would be more vulnerable to mm -hmm. the sun skull that mm -hmm. Nicole was talking about. That mm -hmm. just makes, that's why I was asking the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and then I have, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's really nothing we can do for sun scald. It should kind of fade away on its own a little bit, so. And I'm wondering if that's the same thing. I have some ornamental pear trees kind of in the same area, and they kind of got the same thing going on. So it could be the scalding from the Could be. Pears are very susceptible to um, two things, which would be herbicide injury, which oaks are as well. Um, or uh, pears also get um, uh, cedar apple rust. There it is. It was. I was not thinking of what it was. Um, cedar apple rust and so but that'd be more of like an orange spot um, <clears throat> if you're seeing the same damage on both of them I'm wondering if it is um, herbicide injury I mean could be that, that too that I mean I live in the country so that's yeah. possible yeah um, yeah I mean if you wanted to send me a picture I could see if I can figure out between the two, you know, which one it is or whatever. But um, 
whether it's sun scald or whether it's herbicide injury, there's there's yeah. nothing you can do for either one of them. They should, um, if it's herbicide injury, they'll hold on to those leaves and they'll look bad for the rest of the season. Uh, if it's a sun scald, yeah. they and that one kind of fades out. Usually, they'll kind of drop those leaves. Okay. Okay. Well, um, maybe my wife will drop some. Could she drop some uh, um, leaves off at the extension office? Yes, if you're and you're Mahaska, so I'm guessing Fairberry. Yep, they can get them to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She might do that then. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you, Glenn, yep. for your call. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Mike from Fairberry, you're next. Hi. Hello. Um, I've got a problem with uh, like cherry trees. Um, when I get cherries on them. Is all I have is just, it's just basically a pit in the skin. There's nothing to them. What would be the problem? Several possibilities. One, the simplest answer would be they're not getting enough, taking up enough water from uh, the root system. And so they are not going to be lush and, and uh, Full bear the berries or the cherries are not going to be uh, size won't size up very well. Uh, if uh, that's that's still my first uh, thought, but it could be something uh, along the line of some of the cherry uh, diseases. There's a bacterial disease and a fungal disease that affects them. Uh, but if the cherry just looks like it's much smaller with no, not much succulent pulp to it. It's just not filling out and doesn't turn black or have spots on it. It's probably not a disease. It's probably just the tree's inability to take up enough moisture. Okay. I got to say, because I got some chokecherry trees that are fairly close to them, and they're kind of the same way. They're just basically a pit in the skin. That's choke, choke cherries are like that anyway almost. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to have a lot of choke cherries before you get much juice to make mm -hmm. any jelly or anything out of. But you're, you're, uh, I'm assuming the cherries, you're, the tree you're asking about is uh, a Montmorency type or a, a tart cherry like you'd use for pies, right? Yeah. I think it's just a matter of not uh, the tree not being able to deliver enough moisture to the cherry to, for it to fill out. Okay. Are you watering them? Well, not very much. Um, do they need any sort of fertilizer or anything? Fertilizer wouldn't be a factor in what the problem you're describing. Uh, if your other plants nearby are growing in a healthy way if the leaves look healthy if your if your leaves are looking bad then that means they're not producing enough uh, food to fill the cherry uh, so then you might be talking about a disease but if the leaves look normal then I still think it's a water problem okay that could be the problem then 
Okay, that's all I needed to know. Okay, Mike, thank you for your call. Maybe uh, get the water hose out next spring and give it. Is it something that you'd want to water as it as it's starting to starting to flower, uh, Doctor? Yeah, Doctor Reed. You want uniform watering? Uh, Pretty much all year long. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna jump off. We've got calls coming in, and we'll be back with your calls on Yard and Garden Live. Uh, right after this. Yard and Garden Live, back for another segment of questions and answers to your problems that you might be having with uh, your yard, your garden. Maybe it's a pot growing uh, in the sunroom. Whatever. 402-729-3383. An answer awaits you. 402 729 Three three eight three four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Your phone number to get through to Yard and Garden Live uh, lines open right now, and your calls are welcome. Well, it looks like uh, another year of uh, the Bauer family waiting for the local farmers markets to come. Before we can have any uh, homegrown green beans. does look like your plants have a little trouble. Yeah, they do. They're in big, big trouble. Um, For the past two or three years, I haven't had any because uh, a a rabbit Mm -hmm. would, you know, come and get into my fence. So I knew I needed to redo the fence, which I did. Spent a lot of money. Took a lot of time. Did it right. Put the fence up. Green beans came up. And I thought, man, I'm going to be good because before they never got much more than four or five inches tall. Mm-hmm. And these had started to get them at the beginning. Yeah. These had started to actually flower and you can actually see mm-hmm. a little green bean on on a couple of them. And I went out into the garden uh, two days ago and all of my plants are now nothing but stems. Yeah. And uh, looking at it, the both the. Dr. Paul Reed and Nicole thinks that it definitely looks like a deer problem. And, of course, a rabbit fence isn't made to keep out a deer. It is not. That just steps right over the top of it and and goes. But it's amazing that both rabbits and the deer will target the green beans. And nothing else. And basically leave the other stuff mostly alone. Mm -hmm. But, man, they do like the green beans. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one thing I put in a fence in my yard. Yeah, is the green beans, and it's mostly because of rabbits. We yeah. don't really have deer where yeah. I am, but um, not too many moseying through. But uh, they will they will definitely do a number on just mostly just the beans. Um, and so yeah, unfortunately you've you've lost all the leafy material on it's this gone. fella, yeah. and yeah. so uh, I don't think we're gonna. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get much no. more. If mine do well, I'll bring you. Some. You you know, and you owe me because I I I I gave you a bunch of asparagus one year, didn't I? Huh? Mm, you were gonna do no. some canning a long maybe. long time ago. Oh maybe. my, how soon we forget, Doctor Reed. I forget do. About I probably that. owe you anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but uh, the the thing about the, the how they know the difference between a deer and a rabbit is by the damage that it does to the stalks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Paul Reed says that uh, the rabbits are going to have a, more of a clean cut, and the deer, it's more ragged. Yeah, correct? Kinda that's n- right. Kind of looks that's like right. it's been gnawed on, yeah. When rabbits 
eat your green beans. They yeah. bite them off. It looks like somebody used a nice sharp pruning shears on mm-hmm. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a fact. And that's what they look. When I when I looked at them, I went, "Yeah, it's a deer." Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I saw it, I was after I got over my disgust. <laughs> I went, "Yeah, that's definitely a deer," because a rabbit would not leave mm-hmm. that much of the plant. Yeah, um, and that's the worst because they're starting to flower and produce, and then they get eaten off. Nothing else to do. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three is our phone number on Yard and Garden Live. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Once again, uh, uh, Nicole Stoner, Gage County Extension Educator, and Dr. Paul Reed, University of Nebraska Viticulturist, here to answer your questions. And uh, also, want to remind people that the uh, university have uh, and Homestead Prairie Vineyard near Crete uh, have put together a program for July 19th. July 19th is a Monday, okay? And if uh, you want to see a vineyard that does it right, this is the one to go visit, huh? It's a beauty. Yeah. They've done a lot of things the way we'd like to see them done when you establish a vineyard. And... and their vineyard, they 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 don't have their own tasting room. They don't make their own wine, right? They that's correct. They they're s- just growers. They they're, just they're, grow. They're grape farmers, you might call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they do it so well that it's probably profitable or potentially profitable. The many vineyards uh, owners uh, vertically integrate, you might say, and have a winery also, so they're getting value added to their product. And uh, that's the way that many of them have become profitable. But learning how to grow grapes right uh, is part of the point of this field day. We're also going to see some very practical uh, changes that they've made in their vineyard that will help uh, people who are starting out uh, maybe made the wrong decision about how to train their vines or the trellis system mm-hmm. so they've upgraded uh, their trellis system they also have several of the University of Minnesota and uh, cold hardy grapes that have been uh, released in recent years that are doing very well for them and uh, the uh, vineyards in Nebraska that have the tasting rooms that actually go through the steps of squeezing the grapes and uh, fermenting them and uh, and then cleaning them up with the clarifiers and so on and so forth. To, to have a Nebraska wine, uh, you have to use a percentage of grapes that are grown in Nebraska, correct? Well, it, they just changed that rule. It was uh, 75%. It's now 60%. Okay. But it still refers to... Uh, the total production of that enterprise. So they could easily have uh, 600 of their bottles of pure Nebraska-grown product Mm -hmm. and 400 bottles of something made from something they shipped in from Iowa or California or wherever. So it does not mean that percentage does not refer to the percentage in the bottle. 
it refers to the total product of the enterprise. Gotcha. So this uh, Homestead Prairie Vineyard, do they do they sell their product to local uh, winemakers then? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they sell to two or three of the larger wineries and uh, also to a couple other, I'd call them boutique wineries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, we've got some really good winemakers now uh, in in the various enterprises around the state, and they're doing just a great job of making quality wines that, uh, in fact, win awards in international competitions. I have been accused of being an ambassador for Nebraska <laughs> wines. When I travel, whether it's uh, locally in the country or out of, uh, now that I can travel outside the country again, yeah. I take Nebraska wines with me, and I always take ones they were made from 100% Nebraska product. Yeah. And people are shocked sometimes at how good they are. They're very competitive, especially our white wines. Okay. We have, uh, uh, and we have you to thank for that, by the way. Uh, we also have Jim from Tecumseh. And uh, hi, Jim, you are on the air here. Uh, what is your question, sir? I got two questions. First, how do you get rid of voles? Uh, voles? Uh, snap traps and uh, cats. <laughs> uh, you, did you have a vole problem this this winter, uh, or is it a vole problem that's going on right now? Well, it's going on right now. It's kind of underneath our deck, and uh, oh. like I said, and of course, uh, maybe there's some black snakes around. They'd probably do it too. Yeah, they would help you out. Do you feed birds? Uh, yes, but not there. Okay. A lot of times, people like me who feed the birds, that is one thing that really attracts the voles. I was mowing, uh, Jim, the last time I mowed, and it's not uncommon for me to see a snake, and I always stop the mower so I don't run over the snake. Uh, But uh, the last time I mowed, it was a vole (laughs) that uh, was running from the lawnmower. If I'd have known it, I wouldn't have slowed down. I would have got him, but he got under my deck as well. But get, get rid of him. A little snap trap, just like you use for a mouse. Put a little peanut butter on there. Actually, you don't need anything. Yeah, I know, but let me tell you, if you're going to go to the trouble, put some peanut butter on there, uh, and uh, yeah, you will. uh, You can you can control them that way. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I got and another question. I got a bunch of bushes, you know, and of course we had that hard freeze. It seems like the top part is Mm -hmm. all, you know, almost dead or whatever. Should I trim that off or just Mm -hmm. or what? Yeah. Um, and we've seen a lot of that this year. It's just winter injury. It's not going to come back, so might as well just cut it off so that it looks a little better. Okay, that's uh, that's a good question. So uh, thank you all very much, and have a good fourth. Thank you, too. You, too. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Yard and Garden Live continues on this Friday morning as we get ready for the big 4th of July holiday. We'll be back with more of your calls after this time out. And we are back, Yard and Garden Live, on your Friday before the big 4th of July holiday, which is coming up Sunday, and a lot of people have Monday off, and a lot of people are getting ready to go to the lake and do things uh, shoot fireworks, maybe get the yard all trimmed up before 
company mm-hmm. comes over for a big barbecue or whatever, 402-729-3383. You can still give us a call here on Yard and Garden Live if you have a question. 402-729-3383. Oh, you got me here. Um, I've been having a lot of calls, Randy, on Japanese beetles. They are out and about. Okay. So um, keep an eye on your plants, things like roses, lindens, and even in the vegetable garden. I've seen them on tomatoes. Grapes are one of their favorites. Yes, grapes are, and green beans. They get on green beans as well. Um, So keep an eye out for that if you find them, especially in, like, your garden area. Seven works pretty, I mean, pretty okay on it. Um, There's nothing that's going to be that effective on them. Yes. One thing on on Japanese beetles that people think, uh, oh, I'll put out a trap. No, no. That is the worst <laughs> thing you can do, that it that attracts more of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So don't put out a Japanese beetle trap, even though they you, you'll catch a lot of them, sure. <laughs> but uh, that'll, that'll just, they'll just send out signals to their brothers and sisters, and they'll show up in, <laughs> in, in hordes. They do. You're, if the, your neighbors will like you if you put out a trap for them, because... You're gonna take all the ones from the neighbors. <laughs> yeah, you don't wanna don't wanna waste your money on that one for sure. So all right, four zero two seven two nine three three eight three is our phone number. And from Martel. This is Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Yeah, um, but, but, I know you have discussed this probably many times on your show. I just cannot remember. When is the best time to spray your yard? Um, I, we live on acreage, so of course we've got dandelions that blow in, some clover, even some alfalfa. When is the best time to spray for all of that? So the fall is the best time. So you're looking, I would do a couple applications, do one about you know around the end of September, and then do another run, uh, another application around the middle of October. And you can use 2,4-D for that. Usually by then, we've cooled down enough that using like a 2,4-D product or a Trimec, it'll be, um, won't drift, won't turn into the gas and volatilize and, and move to non-targets. Um, we're usually cool enough by then. So, um, But yeah, doing a couple applications uh, fall is best. Um, I know a lot of people spray in the spring, but in the spring, you're kind of just mostly getting a top die back. It doesn't fully kill the plant. You want to do it in the fall when it's moving those sugars back down into the roots, and it'll take that chemical in with it better. So, Okay. And then um, lastly, real quickly, when, when to trim or prune trees? What trees? Um, we transplanted a bunch of cedar trees that were volunteer, and they're doing really, really well. They're just getting a little bit big. <laughs> uh, um, cedars you can prune most any time. I don't think it's really going to. Okay going to hurt them um but a lot of times we'll do those um like later fall is probably i mean i probably wouldn't do them right now just because it's so hot um Mm -hmm. but um but you can i mean cedars i mean you're not going to hurt them most any time um but yeah okay thank you so much thank you ashley yep bye-bye 402-729-3383 you were Ready to jump here on uh, the application uh, mm-hmm. f- in fall, uh, or was it the question before that? No, it was that one. No. Yeah. Did you have something to add there? My only comment, w- the follow up on Nicole's excellent uh, comments on that, uh-huh. uh, 
the timing in fall is perfect because for things that are uh, vulnerable to the uh, sprays that we might use, they typically will have begun to drop their leaves or will have dropped their leaves. So any drift will not cause much problem. Uh, in the spring though, uh, 2,4-D uh, just is a no-no as far as being near grapes and other fruit crops. Yeah. And you got your tomato plants going nicely. Uh, you'll see some wonderful examples of uh, curled up leaves and knocking the flowers off. Yeah. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Yard and Garden Live on Final Approach. Still have plenty of time for your calls at 402-729-3383. So I did receive the photos um, from that caller in Crete of his peppers that are turning black. You think maybe a virus? I think they look virus, yes. The only and thing I was thinking was that a lot of it is, oh, well, no, it's not. I was thinking it was more at the tips of the leaves, but it's not. Um, for maybe like just a sun scald even. Uh, it could be. It could be. The, the curling of the leaves and the uh, kind of rugose nature of the, of the leaves uh, look, does look virus. The mm -hmm. other one doesn't look as bad no. that he sent. So, um, and, and, and if it's a virus, there's really, I mean, the only thing you can do is take it out and replant. Right. Um, Somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, so it could be because, um, you know, it could be a virus, but uh, the other thing, it, like I said, it could be just um, a, uh, like a sun scald issue, and that would kind of fade on its own. So you might give them, but if you're continually seeing it for three years in a row, maybe it is more the virus um, than anything. So yep. you'd have to, as Kim Todd says, rogue it out. Yep. Um, so getting rid of that plant, um, those plants that are really infected. And plant in a completely different area for peppers um, for the next few years on that because it would still be in the soil. Yep. But if you wanted to raise nothing but corn and green beans, you could probably get by with using that same area. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All yep. right. Here is Dee. Hi, Dee. Dee's calling from Beatrice, by the way. Yes. I have a quick question. When can you send back peonies? You, you mean deadhead them? Is that what we're talking about? Pardon? Are you talking about deadheading them? Yeah, after they bloom, how soon can you cut back the peonies? Oh, okay, that's a different thing. So you can cut the bloom stalks off when they're done and um, just cut those off. But the actual plant itself, you want to wait until the fall when they start turning yellow and dying back. They've got to build that sugar that they need to bloom next year they have to build that through this this year and then take that down into the roots so that they can bloom early next spring so you don't want to prune those off until they're uh till fall till they're done they'll tell you when it's time they'll turn yellow and brown and die back okay sounds good mm -hmm. kind of like the same, same thing that with tulips right yep. even yep. though you know they come up and they bloom and you want to go well maybe i'll mow them down now don't really don't want to do that, do you? No, wait until the leaves turn yellow. And then yeah. 
like Nicole said, quite often the plants will tell you. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. 402-729-3383. Answering your questions at 402-729-3383. And we have time. Uh, if you have a question, we can get you an answer here. Speedy quick. We do have open lines. So, uh, Dr. Reed, do you have any travel plans this summer? <laughs> Going anywhere exotic? <laughs> Nothing exotic. Uh, uh, just a... Uh, our annual conference uh, of the American Society for Horticultural Science meets in Denver this year, which means I'll probably drive there instead of fly there. Yeah, all right. Uh, I'm going to connect with some of my colleagues and former students there. And a little-known fact is that uh, I have not missed attending that conference uh, since I went to my first one in 1965 well so, for for being only 48 you started you started really <laughs> really early there yeah i was just a, just a <laughs> tadpole at that point uh, yeah. <laughs> okay very good does uh does the does the wife get to go along on this she will this time yeah we're, we're, she she likes to drive so i'll let her drive part <laughs> of the way and i'll do anything from napping to reading <laughs> Reading a trashy novel to you go. Uh, <laughs> reviewing a manuscript. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, Denver, not a bad place to be in the summertime, really. Mm -hmm. But when 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 is that? What month? First, first week of August. First week of August, yeah. That'd be yeah. nice and cool out there then. Mm -hmm. uh, tell you what, what we need to do is we need to take one more quick time out, and then we will, we will be back with more of Yarden, Yard and Garden Live. And we are back with more Yard and Garden Live with uh, Nicole Stoner and Dr. Paul Reed is uh, in as well today. Um, and want to go over a couple of things that, that are going on in and around our listening area. Coming up a week from tomorrow, uh, July 10th, it's the annual Plymouth PIA Flower and Art Show. It is held each and every year, and again this year, in the Plymouth Community Building. The Garden Cafe will be there again, so you can stop by and have some great food and grab a cup of coffee. The displays, if you want to enter, you need to get them there between 7.30 and 9.30. And then uh, also uh, part of the celebration will be the open house at Daylily Drive from 8 until 4 on Sunday. Uh, one to five on Sunday, be eight to four Saturday, one to five on Sunday. That's five miles west of Plymouth, by the way. Again, the Plymouth PIA Flower and Art Show coming up a week from tomorrow. Also, the University of Nebraska Viticultural Program Field Day will be held on July nineteenth, and this again. Uh, something that you can go to in our area. Uh, it will be at the Homest Homestead Prairie Vineyard near Crete. Uh, it, it's like uh, $10 per person. You can pay right there at the door. Uh, and uh, the uh, Dr. Paul Reed, I'm assuming you're you're going to be there. Yes, we are. I, I direct the viticulture program, and we have uh, several topics we're going to be 
demonstrating and discussing with attendees, uh, people, are, it's open to the public, but we anticipate that some commercial growers will show up and uh, particularly show interest in uh, crop reduction study and the trellis transition study that's going on there. All right. Uh, and what's going on uh, in Gage County? Anything going on uh, this month in July? July, yeah, a little bit. Well, <laughs> this, you know, like the fair season starts, right? Ooh, so okay. I see here you've got a got a flyer for the Jefferson County Fair mm -hmm. is the 14th to the 18th, mm -hmm. and I think the Saline County Fair is that same week, um, and then uh, the Gage County Fair is July 28th through August. Is that first? I think is this? Yeah, August 1st. Um, so. We got we're getting busy or getting uh, ready for that. So um, I know that uh, keeps us busy for a while with uh, getting everything going for the fair and all those uh, kids with all of their displays and everything that they can do. It's it's just amazing. It amazes me what what these what they can grow and what they can make and the animals that they show and everything like that. So yeah, I think everybody has like you know my favorite category of things to look at when I go to the fair is the photography. Mm -hmm. I always all like the, the photography. They have some good photography. And both Jefferson and Gage County, but mm -hmm. some great photography. Um, and then just, I mean, some people probably go out and are just amazed at some of the clothes these kids are making right. as well. It's like, well, there's an art that's not around much anymore. Huh? Yeah. I love county fairs. I grew up with them as a 4-H club member. Exhibited all kinds of things at the fair from animals to flowers. And uh, then I, little known fact is that I was a county 4-H club agent mm -hmm. and managed a county fair for three years. What county? Fulton County. You know where Fulton County is? No, I do not. <laughs> Upstate New York. Okay. <laughs> That's why it's not familiar with me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, East Central New York State, very agricultural area. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, you know, when we think about New York, you know, our minds generally go to the city, uh, whereas. That's, the yeah. city's a different country. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> or feels like it. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, growing, growing up there, uh, I'm very aware of the fact that New York still ranks like third in uh, grape production, second in apple production, uh, my uncle was a corn seed salesman. Uh, yeah, we you don't really, we don't really think about corn in in New York, do we? Oh no. yeah, yeah. Major, every well, everybody had corn in their rotation. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we had different kinds of what people now call specialty crops, like carrots and beets for the baby food factory and yeah. <laughs> cabbage for the kraut factories. And, uh, Quite a diverse uh, region, also a very beautiful scenic region, the Finger Lakes region uh -huh. of New York State. Beautiful, one of the beauty spots in the world. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, before we before we sign off, we uh, want to make sure that uh, you know how much we appreciate you down here yes, when you come thank down. Thank you so much, uh, Doctor Reed. It's just always, like I said, it's always a, it's always it's always an easy yard and garden <laughs> with uh, you and Nicole. Uh, and I can just lay back and have a great time and appreciate you coming down, spending the time, come down and, uh, 
Uh, hope that uh, next year we'll see you again. Yes, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I really enjoy it. It's a great way to connect and, and perhaps give back a little bit. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. Uh, Nicole, you are gone. I am. Next I, week. I am taking a uh, course next week, so okay. I will be actually taking a test at the time that we have Yard and Garden, so wish me luck. Yeah, well, <laughs> good luck. Um, but uh, so um, George Pinkerton is going to fill in for me, and our guest will be Sarah Browning. So it'll be, it'll be a good show. Yeah. With those two, they'll, yeah. they'll know all the answers to your questions yeah. for sure. I, yeah. I have all the faith in the world in those two. George so. is fun to make fun of. Yeah. Sarah's great to have because she's got <laughs> the answers. Once again, I'm just going to chug right along you know, and have I told a good time. Him, I told him that he didn't listen. Uh, was that last week when we were kind of picking on him and he okay. and he said no he wasn't listening and i said well we picked on you and i told him what we said and he laughed okay so it's good he now. has a good sense of humor yes he so does. it's okay <laughs> all right well uh good luck next week thanks and uh again dr reed thanks so so much for coming down and everybody else uh, whether you called or not we want to thank you for listening to yard and garden live remember keep it green and keep it growing